thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to John's Gospel, chapter 19. As we learned the last time we were together, that right there at the cross, so many prophecies or predictions, that's what the word prophecy means. It simply means to predict or to foretell or to tell something in advance. That's the definition of the subject of our Bible study today, that so many prophecies are taking place and being fulfilled at the cross. And one of them is in chapter 19, verse 23. John chapter 19, verse 23, where it says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said therefore, verse 24, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. And then John comments, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots, which is a quote from Psalm 22, verse 18. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. There's a few more that surround this event and surround Jesus. Let me give them to you. If you're taking notes or you don't normally take notes, today would be a great day to take notes because we're going to cover a lot of scriptures. I'm going to share a lot of scriptures today as we develop this Bible study. Here's one, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3. It prophesies and predicts that he is despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. That's fulfilled in John chapter one, verse 10. For he was in the world, the world was made through him, the world did not know him, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Here's another, Psalm 41, verse nine. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread and lifted up his heel against me, That's fulfilled, Mark chapter 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray him to them. Here's another, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. Then I said to them, if it's agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. That's fulfilled, Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Let me give you one more in Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. That was fulfilled in Mark chapter 15, verse 5. But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Over 330 prophecies or predictions are made of the first coming of Messiah. 332 to be exact, that were perfectly fulfilled by Jesus Christ. God put his name and God put his reputation on the line by saying hundreds of years before Messiah would come, 332 different things specifically, precisely, that he would fulfill individually. There are so many more than just a few that we looked at. As God moves us into a deeper trust in him, 
Why? Because we learn today that God is the God of prophecy. God is the God of prophecy. His word can be trusted. Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Some of you having a difficulty believing God's word today? Well, God says that his word is settled. It is settled. It is firm and fixed in heaven today. Psalm 119, verse 152. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You can trust the Bible. You can trust the Bible for many, many reasons. A lot of times uh, questions come up, how can I trust the Bible and why should I trust the Bible? Well, of all the reasons you can trust the Bible, all the evidence, all the the powerful, wonderful manuscript evidence of the Bible, archaeological evidence of the Bible, the predictive prophecy of the Bible is one of its strongest arguments. Predictive prophecy and the statistical probability of all these prophecies being said and then fulfilled, as we'll look at in just a moment. So why do we spend so much time studying the Bible, and in particular, the prophecies in the Bible, the predictions. Why does it matter that God predicts the future? What difference does it make? What difference does it make that really the Bible is filled with all of these prophecies and predictions? Well, here's the difference. God wants you to trust him. You see, a lot of mistakes are made with prophecy where prophecy becomes the central focus and the central point. But that's not God's heart for you and me. As we're studying prophecy, God's not wanting us to get hung up on prophecy. He wants us to know him, the God of prophecy. That's the significance, the God of prophecy. Why would he put so many predictions in the Bible and fulfill so many of them so far? So that we might be enamored with who God is. And it's not surprising that there's so much arguing over prophecy. That people love to get in arguments about the little nuances and this little thing over here and that little thing over here and what's going to happen here. And there's so much arguing instead of so much awe of the God who gave the prophecy. So much awe in who he is and what he can do and is doing in your life and mine. Prophecy matters because the word of God matters because the God of the word matters. But prophecy is not the focus. Our great and gracious God is the focus. And we're introduced to a God in his great love for you and me that knows the future and knows our future. And consider this today. Because God knows the future and because God knows your future, you can trust him. You can trust him. In the good times, you can trust him. In the hard times, you can trust him. Why? Because God has proven and demonstrated that he knows the future. We've already learned that God is omniscient. He knows all things. God has foreknowledge. So so that when he speaks, he speaks of what he already knows. And prophecy is so powerful. I'm really amazed of all the arguments. I mean, well-known Bible teachers, they either avoid prophecy or they get caught up in the minutia of prophecy. And and many today, I'm seeing this wave today of this anti-prophecy move in the church. You know, one Bible answer man... Uh, He's known as the Bible Answer Man. He says this, and I quote, 
only prophecy pundits with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And he says it as if it's a bad thing to do, to compare the Bible to present day events. Well, I want you to know God's expectation for you and me is to understand the days and times and seasons in which we live. It's his heart for us to pay attention to the world in which we live so that we might not understand not only the fulfillment of prophecy and things that God predicted, but also that we might understand how to use the word of God to reach people that are living in this upside down crazy world. This stuff has been predicted. God has said in advance that the closer to the coming of the sec- the closer to the second coming of the Lord, things are going to get crazier. And you and I are living in generation that things are getting crazy. I mean, cray cray, straight up. <laughs> things are happening that even 30 years ago would be hard to convince you that would be happening. I mean, 30 years ago. I, I only I moved to Colorado 18 years ago, and when I moved here 18 years ago, there was not high-speed internet in my neighborhood. I did not have high-speed internet in my house. If I wanted to download some big file, I would need to go to work, and on my work computer, I have to ask my boss, but I was the boss, so this is how it go. Hey, Ed, can I download a big file? And Ed said, yes, go ahead. And so I download it, put it on a disc, bring it home, put it on my account, because I didn't have high-speed internet. But now... Not only is there high-speed internet all over the place, but many of you have high-speed internet in your pockets and in your hand. And if I told you 30 years ago, I don't even have high-speed internet in my house, which was still kind of slow back then, but I'd say, you know what? In 18 years, you're going to have it in your pocket. You're going to like, I don't know about that. I'm not sure. You're crazy, man. I don't even have it in my house. What are you talking about? But it's happening. These advances in technology, you know, one of the prophecies of the end times is that knowledge would increase. Knowledge would increase. Knowledge would increase. There's a couple ways of looking at that. First of all, I think it specifically speaks to the knowledge of prophecy, where things will be revealed, and toward the end times, toward the coming of the Lord, the closer we get, the more we're going to understand, and the more knowledge we're going to gain about the prophetical things in the scriptures, and I accept that. But I also believe it speaks to something else, and that is that in general, knowledge will increase. You'll have access to more knowledge. And you see that because we do. We, we do. You know, in the day, if I wanted to find something out, you know, in my, when I was growing up, I had to find something out. I would need to come up with a question, walk over to the bookshelf, pull out and a volume of the encyclopedias that my mom and dad mortgaged their house for 30 years to buy. Can I get an amen? Anybody have encyclopedias? All right, because most of the kids are like, what? I was encyclopedias. Well, if you don't know what they are, just Google it. Because you can now. You don't have to go into a library and flip through the Dewey Decimal System to find the card and then go over and look and go, I don't know where it's at, and find a librarian. And she looks at you like, don't you know how to use these cards? And you go, not only do I know not know how to use them, I don't want to use them. But now, you can put something in a Google search bar and have a million, billion things pop up. Knowledge increasing. Things happening. Again, if I told you just a few years ago that Google would become so pervasive in your life that the price for all these free services is a company that's as big or bigger than most countries on the planet in their gross national product. If I told you that they have more information on you than even you know about you, that they know what you watch, they know when you watch it, 
They know what you surf. They know the phone calls you make. They know where you are as they try. If I told you that a few years ago, you go, oh, come on, man, you're crazy. And yet, there are companies that know more about you than even you know about you. And this knowledge increases. If I told you a few years ago that, man, we're getting to this global economy and we're getting to this global uh, government and, and I talked to you about man, what the Bible says, you know, the Antichrist is going to come, there's going to be a one world leader, a one world religion, a one world currency, it would all be out of one place. You, they, you, folks in the past, no way, that could never happen. I couldn't even see how it happens and yet, where's our president this week? At a global summit. That's the key word, by the way. When you're reading the news, watching the news, listening to the news, that's the key word. Whenever you hear global, tune your ears. Because when those guys get together, you know, the G20, as they're getting together and talking about the world, they're talking about controlling you and me. That's what the governments of man do. Now, whether they can accomplish it or not, or it happens in our lifetime, we don't know. But it's not for us to bury our heads in the sand and think that the Bible isn't coming to pass right before your eyes. It might stir you to holy living, understanding that the coming of the Lord is at hand. And you are seeing things in your generation that generations before you would just shake their head and say, it could never happen. Well, that's what, it's happening right before your eyes, right under our noses. It's not a bad thing to understand prophecy, not only from the perspective of the end times, but in, jot it down in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, it speaks of the sons of Issachar, and the sons of Issachar are described as having understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They had understanding of the times. It's God's heart for us to understand the times. Check this out. Turn over to Matthew chapter 16, and let's learn from Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Master. What does he tell us about this? Well, notice this episode in Matthew chapter 16. Pick up with me in verse 1. As Jesus is, is rebuking the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious rulers, but remember, every time Jesus is speaking, he's got an audience, and he's discipling those that want to listen to him, and he's rebuking those that don't, just like any Bible study. This is a mixed group, people listening on the radio, live right now, it's a mixed group. People watching online, it's mixed. There are many people that want to learn, so you're going to learn today. But there are some of you that don't want to learn at all. You're resistant and you're pressing back and you're going to walk away going, I don't know why I, went to I didn't even get anything out of it. it has, it's a matter of the heart and the reception and God giving you life and understanding. So check this out in verse 1. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And he answered and said to them, When it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. You hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Here, rejecting their Messiah. This is so relevant for us, isn't it, in Colorado? Because if there's one thing I learned moving to Colorado, is people in Colorado love to talk about the weather. It's all about the weather. If it's not a, you know, when we first moved there, there were, the first story in the news, it, was, it just tripped us out, was a cat stuck in a tree or something. And we're like, wow, this is awesome. There's no crime here, no difficulty here, just cat stuck in a tree, man. And then the next one was the weather, the weather, the weather. 
Yeah, times have changed a little bit, but not the weather. Weather, weather is always the top thing, man. This is the lead story, middle story. It's all about the weather here. And it's really cool. I've, I've learned to appreciate the weather here some of the seasons. And it's really neat how things change and you wake up in the morning and you, many of you, you can look up at the sky and say, well, it's going to be a clear day today. Or you can look up and you can see storms coming in and you can learn the different types of clouds and what they mean. And it's amazing. And the weather's so cool here that you can actually get all four seasons appear in one day. It's amazing. And then, of course, you guys that are in the weather, you know, you are in the weather because you'll see the sunset over the Rockies and it's orange and blue. And then you're like posting on Facebook, oh, look at the sunset. God is a Bronco fan. Yeah. He's not. He's not. Everybody gets to see that sunset. <laughs> hey, for those of you that can tell the weather, Jesus would say to you, do you understand the signs of the times? you spend as much time learning about your environment and learning what's going on in life as you do on the weather because that's what he's doing right here he's rebuking them for being so smart about the weather but ignoring the days in which they live you know when you and i ignore the signs of the times where we are in effect ignoring people and the need and the urgency to love people in the name of jesus christ the need and the urgency to be the salt and the light of the earth. Because if we really believe the Bible, and I think we do, and we really believe the signs of the time, and I think we do, then it's going to move us in action to love people and to care for them. I wouldn't be a faithful pastor if I didn't tell you the times and the seasons and point out things to you. And, and, and it's, it's amazing that God is able to predict the future with 100% accuracy that he can say something and it comes to pass. Let me show you some. Turn over to Isaiah now, the book of Isaiah, which is to the left. Start in verse or chapter 44, would you? God is able to predict the future with 100% accuracy. In his omniscience, he knows all things. And if God knows anything, he knows all things by definition. He's able to predict 100% of the time what will happen. He's right, always. He's on target, always. He can be trusted, all the time. His word is so reliable that we can look back on it and see and be able to say this, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, there has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. It hasn't failed one word, even as you're waiting for some promises to yet be fulfilled. You'll be able one day to look back and say, God has not failed to keep his promises. Even if you are in that time of waiting on the Lord, where your strength is being renewed. You know, there's a couple things that happens when you're waiting on the Lord. If you're waiting on the Lord looking to God, he's going to renew your strength. If you're waiting on the Lord and kind of frustrated by the waiting, you're going to become impatient. And impatient people usually do things that they regret. And it's so much better to look to the Lord, wait for him to fulfill his promise. Just because there's a delay doesn't mean God has denied you. He's working out something in my life and in your life, teaching me about himself. And when he prophesies, he does it for a reason. Notice in chapter 44, pick up in verse 6, would you? Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming 
and shall come, let them show these to me. He says, who can proclaim like I do? Who can say in advance what I say and watch it come to pass? Notice chapter 46, verse 10. Isaiah 46, verse 10. Pick up really in verse 8 for context. Remember this and show yourselves men. Recall to mine, O you transgressors, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's none like me, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Look at chapter 48 now, verse 3. Chapter 48, verse 3. God speaking through Isaiah. He says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went out from my mouth and I caused them to hear it. And notice, suddenly I did them. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. See, God not only can predict the future, he can accomplish it too. <laughs> he can't, he's not just speak forth the future, he makes it happen because he's God. And it should be comforting to us today in a very real way. Here we are in Aurora, Colorado, in the United States of America, on the planet Earth, the North American continent, in the Milky Way, in the solar system that we're in, to know that God is faithful. God is faithful. There it is in your laps. The Bible opened up in your hand, on your phone perhaps, or your iPad, in a language that you can understand and act upon. And even for those of you that have a hard time reading, maybe you you didn't learn how to read in school because of the circumstances of your life, or you have a reading disability like like dyslexia, or whatever whatever that might be, God even has created a verbal. there, There are free ways that the Bible can be read to you. And some of you, God is even restoring your mind so you can understand more because of, God loves you so much that he has reserved his word for us that even if heaven and earth pass away, God says, Jesus tells us, my word's not gonna go anywhere. It's settled in heaven. We haven't been born again, Peter says, of a corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God that lives and abides forever. God's word. Is it because, is it because you've neglected the word of God in your life that you're facing so much right now. Have you ever considered that? Is it, is, it, is it because you've stepped away from God's solid word that you're so confused right now? You haven't let God speak that into your life. You haven't let God define reality for you from his perspective. Is it possible that you listening to me today have so neglected the word of God that it's very difficult for you to even remember something about the word of God when tough times come, is it? I think it's worth considering. I know even, I know that there are many that, that, that walk away from the Bible because, well, it's so hard, it's so difficult, it's so difficult. And, and I would say on one hand, in the spiritual realm, you decide to, to be a man or a woman of the Bible, then it's just gonna be constant stuff coming against you to get you out of the Bible. Some of you don't understand the Bible because you don't have spiritual life in you. You don't, you're not alive to God. So the Bible is a closed book to you. The Bible is just a witness to you in that case of the love of God. And God uses his word to bring conviction in your life so that today might be the day you give your life to Jesus Christ and you repent of your sin. 
But others of you, you're just using it as an excuse. Oh, the Bible's so hard to understand. The Bible's so hard to understand. Let me concede to you that there are definitely parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. I mean, there are times where I have to spend a considerable amount of hours in study to unpack a verse and to really get to the root of what the words mean, the context, what, what, it, what is really God saying to the audience so we can bring it in now to the 21st century. I concede that. There are many passages that are hard to understand. But I'm going to ask you to concede something to me, okay? There are a lot of passages in the Bible that are easy to understand. For example, you open up the Bible, you come right to the very first thing it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's easy to understand. I don't, I don't get it, Ed. What do you mean? God created. God created. That means you didn't create. That means I didn't create. And if you read just a few verses down, he created everything. And he starts thinking, you know, and you read just a few verses down, you're going to learn that God created man in his own image. You're going to learn that you are, you are the crown jewel of God's creation. And God, as you keep reading, you learn, you learn about this word love. You keep reading, you'll learn, you'll come to this verse. It'll say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you kind of think, you know, the world, who's that? Everyone. Well, you know, the world can't be the globe so it has to be me. I'm a part of the world. Are you telling me God loves me? Yes. And that if I believe in him, I won't perish, but I'll enjoy everlasting life? Yeah. Now, learning what everlasting life is may take some time. Learning what the love of God is might take some time. But I'm asking you to concede to me, you skeptic and critic of the Bible, that you have been laying it aside because you think it's so much that's hard to understand, I would encourage you to, to pay attention to the things that you do understand. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent by the Father to serve you and to love you and to care for you, just like he did, to sacrifice his life for you. Why, why, would, an innocent man die? why would an innocent man die? Well, the Bible says why. So that your sins and mine would be forgiven. And the guilt of shame of our rebellion against God would be removed and he would restore to you life as it is intended. Knowing God can predict the future is encouraging to us. Because he knows the future, we can trust him. For those that put down the study of prophecy, whether it's Revelation or Daniel or Ezekiel, uh, we've done Bible studies verse by verse all throughout Revelation, all throughout Daniel. They're all available online. I would encourage you, if that's a curiosity, because you know what happens is the cults and false religions, they get hooked, they, they take prophecy, because everybody wants to know the future. That, that seems to be a universal thing among you. What's the future going to hold? Will I get that job? Where, who will I marry? Where will I live? If it's even just those simple things to the broader things in life, it seems everybody has a sense of wanting to know the future. And cults and false teachers have capitalized on that and taken the Bible, twisted it all around, and, and has some, some of the weirdest things in the world that they attribute to the Bible, and people just get hooked in on it. And one reason people get hooked in on it is because pastors and leaders are not teaching the whole counsel of God. They're not teaching prophecy. Instead, they're putting it down. And so why are you guys teaching prophecy? And, and we even get those accusations here. Why do you spend so much on I'll tell you why we spend so much time on prophecy. One quarter of the Bible is prophecy. 25% of the Bible is prophecy. 
20% of the scriptures were predictive at the time that they were written. And I think it's a neglect of the study of prophecy that has produced so much problems in the church and outside of the church. Pastors don't want to teach prophecy. Instead, they're, the church today has, and not every church, there's a lot of great churches, not just Calvary's either, a lot of great churches, even in our town, teaching verse by verse through the Bible. That's known as expository teaching. And for those pastors listening in that do that, we are happy and satisfied and want, give your people the word of God. But you know what? Most churches have become entertainment centers. A big show with the worship team that actually they hire people to play in the worship team that aren't even walking with the Lord. They hire unbelievers to lead the church in worship. That doesn't make any sense to me. And then instead of going through the whole Bible with their church, it's got this topic over here, how to be a good person here, how to give here. And their topics are good. I don't, I, I don't disagree with that. But God gave a lot more in his scriptures than the four or five topics that churches go through all the time. And it, I know for some of you it really doesn't apply and you wonder sometimes why I mention these things. I'll tell you. Because I, I want to stir up love and good works among the pastors and the leaders that listen to the radio. I want them to hear that it's important to get back to the Word of God. That it's important to open it up and start in Genesis to say, let's study the Bible together. Let, let's go through and make sure the whole counsel of God is shared. And, and no matter what people say, because immediately a pastor or a leader will go, well, if I do that, then my church will empty. No, no it actually won't. It actually won't. The exact opposite will happen. You will equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you will challenge them by the love of God. And if anyone takes the Bible in hand to read it, so if, you read, if you've chosen to read the Bible through in one year, 25% of the time you're reading prophecy. If you've decided to teach the Bible all the way through, 25% of your messages are going to be on the topic of prophecy or is going to cover a prophecy. As we see right here in John 19, why are we talking about prophecy today? Because right at the cross, those soldiers in their everyday life, they just went to work that day. They didn't wake up the morning going, I think I'm going to fulfill God's prophecy today. They have no concern with the things of God. They just went to work doing their job. And as a man is hanging on the cross, they are gambling for his clothes. Why? Because God said they would. That's why. They may think they're just gambling for clothes like they always do. Not so. God said this would happen, that's why it's happening. Now, did he say these particular soldiers? No. If a soldier called in sick, the next guy that came in would do the same thing. Why? Because God said so. You can trust him. It's powerful to consider. Prophecy is important. If you're a pastor or an elder in the church today listening in, teach the church the way the Bible teaches through prophecy so that we don't miss it. If you're going to study the scriptures, teach the word, you're going to spend a lot of time talking about prophecy. It's the only holy book that dares to do so. That dares to do so. No other religious writings dare to jump into this arena with 100% accuracy. Why? Because they can't. They can't. And it's one of the main reasons why you can trust the Bible. It was in, prophecy was important to Jesus, of course. Turn over to Luke chapter 4 and let me show you. Right in the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, we're already in the realm of prophecy. Right here in the city of Nazareth, Luke chapter 4, a very familiar passage. Luke chapter 4, pick up in verse 16, where Jesus, it says, comes into Nazareth, where he grew up, as the custom was, his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. 
And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. So the scrolls were given to him, and the daily reading that was prescribed was in Isaiah. He opened it up, found the place, and says, in verse 18, this is what it says in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Isaiah 61. We've studied this in depth. And usually the way that we approach it is, this is the ministry of Jesus. This is what he's doing through us now. All of these characteristics of Messiah is still happening now. And it's a wonderful Bible study, and it's very encouraging. But let me give you another aspect of this. Jesus comes into Nazareth, where he grew up, goes into the synagogue, very familiar. And the very first message that he teaches, well, notice this, verse 20. He closes the book, gives it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say, Today, Scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all bore witness to him, marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? The very first message and gracious words that Jesus share is fulfilled prophecy. That's what he teaches them. You know this verse? You guys read this verse? You know Isaiah 61? It's fulfilled. And the very first thing he does to catch someone's attention is to reveal to them fulfilled prophecy. It's just exciting to think of God who steps outside of time and space, because he is outside. He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He declares specific predictions and events that will not happen for hundreds and sometimes thousands of years. He spoke of crucifixion before it was even invented before man even thought of that evil deed, God predicted it would be so. Prophecy is the true calling card of God. In Ezekiel 12, 25, he says, I speak and the word which I speak will come to pass. You can trust him on it. Prophecy makes us scratch our heads and yet also brings us to our knees in worship that God would be so gracious to us. So in his first coming, Jesus fulfills about, somebody counted it, 332 prophecies. Born in Bethlehem of a virgin, betrayed by 30 pieces of silver, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, his clothes being ripped up at the cross, him hanging on the cross, all of his 332. But one man by the name of Peter Stoner, who wrote in a book entitled Science Speaks, computed the coincidence of the scientific probability that any one person fulfilling just eight biblical prophecies, he concluded that the, that the number of that happening would be one times 10 to the 17th power, or one in one and then 17 zeros after that. And in order to help us comprehend this, he gives this illustration, that if we took one times 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, that many silver dollars, they would cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep, silver dollars. Now that's a hard thing to conceive even in this illustration, so let's just drill it down a little bit and consider this small room, this small room to be filled with silver dollars two feet high, just this little room, not the state of Texas, but just this little room. And and this room is filled with silver dollars, and we took one silver dollar and we painted it red, and then threw it in the mix and stirred it all up, and I asked for a volunteer, and everybody's raising their hand, okay, I want you to find the red silver dollar. So we bring you up, the volunteer, we blindfold you, and we tell you, walk through the room and pick one silver dollar. 
the probability of that happening covering the state of Texas is one times 10 to the 17th power. It's mind-blowing. Now, of course, you math experts are all processing all the math and you're digging this right now. The rest of us, we're overwhelmed. It's overwhelming to think, even in a small room like this, which wouldn't possibly cover the kind of statistical probability of one man fulfilling just eight biblical prophecies precisely to the point, one times 10. One times 10 to the 17th power. Jesus fulfilled not eight, not 16, not 32 or 64, but 332. Why? Because Peter, an eyewitness, would put it this way, that we have a more sure word of prophecy. That's the old King James. In the new King James, he says that we have the prophetic word confirmed, that God, the author of our Bibles, tells us that he loves us, that he loved you from the beginning of time. He tells us that his love is everlasting. He invites you to trust him today with your problems, with your issues, with your concerns. Don't walk around, followers of Christ, as unbelieving believers, but rather trust him. That today God's intention is for your faith to be built. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The good news that your life can be changed and the good news that your life has been changed. That when the Bible says that you're a new creation in Christ, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, it's true. Now live by faith in the power of God in your life. Live by faith that when he says he's holding on to you, nobody will snatch you from the Father's hands, that he's holding on to you. When he gives us the, the story of the prodigal son as an illustration and an important, an important instruction of how we're to feel about the, our kids that may have walked, walked away from the Lord, that we, like the Father, need to keep praying for them to come back, looking forward to the day that you get to run to them when you see them. Why did God put that in there for you? So you might trust him with your kids and trust him with your grandkids, trust him with your parents and with your friends and your neighbors. Some of the most satisfied, some of the most happy and content people that I've ever met are men and women that read the Bible, believe it, and act on it. Obeying God at his word. And one of the biggest evidences that you can trust the Bible is that it's filled with predictive prophecy. As you're a reader and a hearer and the doer of God's word, your obedience bringing such great blessing into your lives. Read ahead. Give God a chance to encourage you. If you have neglected the word of God in your life, please repent. Come back to his love letter to you. Come back to, man, God, what do you have for me today? Be careful not to get caught up in all the secondary arguments and knowledge puffs up, but love, you know, all the things that knowledge puffs up. We're not here primarily for knowledge's sake. We gather together around God's word and he exercises the gift of teaching or pastor teacher for the sake of knowledge turning into action that leads to transformation in your life and mine. That you might be transformed by the renewing of your mind, washed and cleansed and changed. So Father, we do submit ourselves to you and to your word. It's an amazing thing to think of the prophetic power that you reveal in your scriptures. And we submit ourselves in a way that might honor you and glorify you, God, 
that we wouldn't just be arguing about the Bible, but we would be in awe of the God of the Bible. That prophecy would stir us to thank God that you love us so much that you would tell us things in advance so that we might not lean on our idols, that we might not lean on our own understanding, that we wouldn't trust in chariots and horses, but we would trust in the name of the Lord our God. And I pray for those listening in right now that have never turned away from their sin. This this revelation, this teaching of a God who knows the future is intriguing, God. This aspect, this attribute gets people's attention because everybody's paying the fortune tellers, Lord, and the, the Long Island mediums and all these people that are just manipulators and in many cases just demonic substitutes of the God who absolutely knows the future 100%. And I pray you would break free and release people from the bondage of their lives today. If they've been into the, trying to know the future through these mechanisms, God, release them that they might turn away from them and turn to you. That they've just been ripped off by these substitutes. And I just tell you right now, if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day for that, that, that you recognize the love of God for your life. I can say with authority, based upon what the Bible says, that God loves you. He loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to demonstrate that love. He doesn't demonstrate love like we do, that we might say, well, he hugged you or he gave you something. Here's what the demonstration of the love of God is. It's Jesus Christ paying the price as an innocent man, God in human flesh, for your sins. He died a horrific death, a torturous death, as an innocent man for you and for me. The innocent dying for the guilty. I don't need today to go through a list of things in your life that you know are against God. The Bible says that they're sin. That's what he, he doesn't describe them as mistakes or accidents. He doesn't describe them as, uh, you know, mishaps. Mistakes, what we call mistakes, God calls sin. And the Bible says that sin has separated us from God. And the way to breach that separation is to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because it's with the mouth, it's with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So I invite you today, if you're here and you'd say, Ed, I need to repent of my sins and come and lay my life before Jesus Christ. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. That today would be the day that God would grab your attention. God bless you. Bless you. Today's the day. Who else would say, that's me? I don't want to persuade you or convince you. I just want to invite you. On behalf of God. Not inviting you to to be a member of this church. I'm not inviting you to follow me. I'm inviting you to Jesus, the one that said, you that are weary and heavy laden, come unto me and I will give you rest. I believe there are more. I know there are some out on the radio right now and and, uh, you're watching this and God is just ministering to your heart. We'll pray in a minute, but for the sake of those of you in front of me, 
or maybe downstairs or in one of the overflow rooms, today's the day. Today's the day. And if that's you, let us, let us be happy with you and acknowledge that. Make a public commitment to Jesus today. Just stand right around. Go ahead, by faith right now, just boom. I need to give my life to Jesus. Well, for those that respond, ask God with your mouth. Confess with your mouth right now. Say, you could repeat this after me. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I turn away from them today because I believe you lived for me and died for me. And I believe what the Bible teaches that you rose again from the dead and you're alive today. And I'm entering in to a real relationship with you. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past and to follow you all the days of my life. And Father, I realize and acknowledge to you that it's a high and holy moment when you bring conviction upon a person, when they hear an invitation and they respond much like Matthew did. And so I pray for those that responded today that they would be like the parable you gave, that they would be good seed. Because we, we know that it can be an emotional response. And, and we know it could just be because of a bad week. But I hold true to what you said. Anyone that comes to you, they will not be cast out. And so for those that are coming, God, those that are responding, both here and there, I pray that it's the real deal. I know it wasn't my life, God. I know it happens. I've seen many people in this room that it's the real deal. It, there is good seed being sown into the hearts that give forth increase. So I pray that. And I pray for the wrestling and the battling that's going on in people's lives today that you might comfort them, that they might get to know you as the God of prophecy, whom they can trust and live their life in full commitment to, Lord. So pour out your Holy Spirit upon our congregation, Lord. Everyone that's connected to us, we find it such a great privilege to serve you in these last days. We find it such a great privilege to worship you, to be the salt and the light of this earth, representing you, Lord, surrendering our lives to you, so go before us, please. Whatever you have in store for us today, may we be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.